When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Thousands of years ago, the world is in chaos. An early human society collapses from sin, violence, and a tangible spiritual rot. A man struggling to live in peace and harmony with the world is warned by his God. Rain is coming. An asteroid is coming. A flood is coming. The entire world is flooded and destroyed, save the righteous. Eventually, the waters recede, and life begins again. This story should be both familiar and unfamiliar to most of our listeners, as it is not a single story at all. It's an amalgamation of flood myths, stories of a singular giant flood devastating the world can be found in nearly every ancient culture worldwide. These stories predate any oceanic travel, Silk Road, or periods of global explorations. They rose up organically from people who had never met. The parallels in concept and estimated time frame of a great flood puzzled anthropologists and scientists. Was there an actual great flood? Thanks to modern tools and studies, we now know sea levels rose considerably since the last ice age. There were great floods around the world. These myths were based on real events. Perhaps then, history and modern science can account for another globally known myth, the dragon. Dragon legends populate the storytelling histories of countries all over the world. Early naturalists examined dragons as real creatures within the natural world, and doctors prescribed dragon bones as medical remedies. Dragons, as we imagine them, don't exist. So why did similar dragon stories pop up in cultures around the world, cultures that never communicated? And why for so many years were dragons regarded as scientific fact? In life, there's so much we don't know. But in this podcast, we don't take, we don't know for an answer. Every week, we investigate the greatest mysteries of history and life on Earth. Welcome to Unexplained Mysteries. I'm your host, Richard. And I'm your host, Claire. This is our first episode on dragons. Dragons don't exist. So why, for hundreds of years, did humans act like they did? In this episode, we'll examine how similar dragon legends are found all across the world, and oddly, regarded as fact for most of human history. Why are similar legends found in every culture? Why do dragons appear in historical, academic, and zoological accounts? In the second episode, we'll dive into scientific explanations for accounts of dragons. 
Could dragons have once existed and been driven into extinction by humans? Why do they resonate psychologically? The dragon is a huge mystery, and we aim to get to the bottom of its origin. If you like the show, you can subscribe on your favorite podcast directory. A new episode comes out every Thursday. While you're there, we'd greatly appreciate a five-star review. It seems simple, but it really helps our show. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram at Parcast, on Twitter at Parcast Network, and at Parcast.com. Now, back to dragons. According to legend, a monstrous dragon dwelt by a large pond near the Libyan town of Selene. To appease the dragon, the village fed its sheep. But when that did not satisfy the dragon, local maidens drew lots to see who would be sacrificed. One day, around 300 AD, the lot fell upon the princess of Selene. The king, distraught with grief, told the people they could have all of his silver and gold if his daughter was spared. The people, fearing the wrath of the dragon, refused their king. So the princess was sent out to the lake, dressed as a bride to be fed to the fearsome dragon. A Roman soldier named George heard of this crisis, so he rode on horseback to the lake. The terrified princess, fearing for the young man's life, pleaded for George to leave her, but he vowed to remain. As the two of them talked, the scaly dragon emerged from the lake, talons on his feet, sharp teeth in his mouth. The giant beast was indeed scary. Nonetheless, George charged at the creature on horseback. With his lance, he lunged and pierced the dragon. He called to the princess to throw him her girdle. He slung the girdle around the dragon's neck, immediately subduing it. The two of them led the dragon back to town, where the captive dragon still terrified the people. George told the people that if they converted to Christianity and were baptized, he would slay the dragon before them. The king and the villagers all immediately agreed and were converted. Proving the power of God, George slayed the dragon. He was later immortalized as a Christian martyr and morphed into England's patron saint, St. George. Paintings depicting the story are relatively uniform in their interpretation of the dragon. A lizard-like creature about the size of a horse, stabbed by the lance and occasionally trampled by St. George's horse. In stories like St. George and the Dragon, dragons are something to be feared and defeated. The dragon violently terrorized an innocent town and had to be dealt with violently. These stories could be described as order versus chaos, and they are far from rare. Heroes and gods, often among the earliest in human storytelling, bring order and sense to the world by destroying a primordial harbinger of chaos, a dragon. Hundreds of years before explorers set foot on other continents, people developed these similar dragon mythologies, stories, and histories. Somehow, these homogenous dragon accounts predate the meetings of these diverse civilizations. In Greek mythology, 
Typhon was a monstrous antagonist to Zeus. And while not directly called a dragon, he was described in various depictions as having 100 snakeheads that emitted fire. He was a winged monster and poison-spitting viper, only eventually defeated by Zeus's thunderbolts. In ancient Mesopotamia, the patron deity of Babylon, Marduk, was said to have defeated the sea dragon and fellow god, Tiamat, by piercing her belly with an arrow. And in one of the earliest surviving works of literature, Mesopotamian hero Gilgamesh defeated the dragon Humbaba. Over a thousand miles away, Vedic deity Indra slew a giant serpent. In the third act of the poem Beowulf, the titular hero and his servant battle a fire-breathing dragon after 50 years of peace and harmony, incited by someone stealing a jeweled cup from the dragon's lair. The story of Beowulf is among the oldest pieces of English literature, and the Beowulf poem was set and written thousands of miles away from Greece, Mesopotamia, or India, other places where a righteous ruler defeated the threat of chaos represented by a dragon. Across cultures worldwide, no other animal serves as an antagonistic force as often as the dragon. On the flip side, there are accounts of dragons being friendly. Eastern dragons are often represented as omens of luck, protection, or wisdom. In fact, one of the 12 Chinese zodiac symbols is a dragon. In this context, the dragon represents authority and good fortune. People born in the year of the dragon are said to be powerful, kind-hearted, successful, innovative, brave, healthy, courageous, and enterprising. However, they tend to be conceited, scrutinizing, tactless, quick-tempered, and overconfident. These traits from the Chinese zodiac calendar are not so different from the traits of the European-based dragons in stories like Beowulf, even if they aren't overtly antagonistic. Stories of dragons eating people or stealing food are common in Asian accounts, too. According to Chinese folklore, some typhoons and ocean storms are caused by dragons. In every region, accounts of dragons have rich variety and nuance. Dragons have shaped not just stories, religion, and language, but farming practices, fashion, legal precedent, and even architecture. Yes, architecture. The story goes that in the year 520 AD, devastating floods hit Normandy, a northern region in France. Quickly, the people identified the culprit, a massive creature with bat-like wings, a scaled head, long neck, slender snout, and heavy brow. It was an aquatic serpent dragon of colossal size. When it opened its mouth, it flooded countrysides, killing many people. Because it seemingly exhaled water, it was called the gargler. Everyone believed the dragon would kill them all. Someone had to stop it, and a man named Romanus volunteered for the job. Stopping the dragon appeared to be a deadly task, so the only other volunteer was a prisoner condemned to death for murder, 
Romanus and the prisoner set out to face the monster. When they approached, the creature opened its jaws to cause an immense tidal wave, but Romanus held two index fingers, forming a Christian cross. This made the monster passive. Romanus and the convict captured it, and the townspeople burned the dragon alive. Romanus became the Archbishop of Rouen and pardoned the criminal as a reward for his brave loyalty. To this day, each year on Ascension Day, the region still pardons one criminal. Romanus was canonized as a saint and is now known as Saint Roman. Additionally, chiseled creatures representing the gargler became common structures designed to convey water from a rooftop and away from the side of a building, thereby preventing rainwater from running down walls and eroding the mortar. They became especially common in the design of French cathedrals. We know these stone gargler statues as gargoyles. For other water dragons, Japan had the High Ryo, a creature with the body and claws of a bird, but the head of a dragon. Hawaiian and Polynesian cultures had sea dragons, or water lizards called mo'o. And Australian Aborigines told of the bunyip, a sea dragon-like man-eating creature that seemed as real to people as Australia's other unique flora and fauna. To round out the map, years before the European invasion, Mesoamerican cultures had various versions of flying serpents, feathered serpents, and fire serpents, all, of course, eerily similar to the European and Asian dragons. Xiaquat was an Aztec figure meaning fire serpent and could be symbolized by burning torches. This was alongside Quetzalcoatl, a deity whose characterization combined human, bird, and snake qualities. Earlier still, the Mayans had the god Kukulkan, meaning feathered serpent. To this day, the Mexican national flag is centered with an eagle holding a snake, continuing this seemingly timeless and universal connection of serpents and flight. In short, no mythological creature has had such a wide and lasting cultural impact. Somehow, each culture independently landed on the same general idea of a dragon. So what's going on? As a story element, it makes sense that dragons are dangerous and powerful. The heroes and gods are made separate from ordinary humans hearing the story because these heroes defeated an impossible enemy. But what doesn't make sense is that dragons were documented alongside known living species and recorded as historical fact. It's one thing to invent a dragon for a campfire story. It's quite another to put it on a map, in a history book, or an encyclopedia. Spaces no other mythological creature occupied. This begs the question, were dragons more than a myth? Did they exist in the ancient world? Our story will continue in a moment after a brief message. Now our story continues. If you close your eyes and picture a dragon, 
you will likely have competing views. There are the bulky winged beasts most recently popularized in Game of Thrones and Harry Potter. But there are also the thinner, usually wingless, four-legged dragons, depicted on zodiac graphs and Asian artwork. All are giant flying reptiles with claws, big teeth, and long snouts. Keep this in mind through the next description. In Puyang County, Henan Province, China, 186 ancient burials were discovered between 1987 and 1988. The Neolithic site called Shishui Po was an extraordinary find made all the more remarkable when one of the tombs of a tall adult male was flanked by depictions of a tiger to his left and a dragon to his right. Numerous white clamshells made up the two mosaic animal images, with the dragon measuring nearly six feet long and over two feet tall. The site is over 6,000 years old, making this the earliest image of a dragon uncovered in Chinese archaeology. The Shishuipo Cemetery ruins date back several thousand years. Yet, the dragons shown are surprisingly similar to modern renditions. Long body, four legs, reptilian tail, claws, and a long snout. This shows the dragon concept did not slowly develop through Chinese history from a simplistic, primitive mythological figure. In fact, this dragon image shows there has been no significant artistic evolution in depictions of dragons since a time that predates the pyramids in Egypt. One possible explanation for this mystery is that the dragon images were, in fact, modeled after living creatures. After all, the images of tigers, horses, fish, and snakes have stayed the same as those animals have not changed in 6,000 years. As we mentioned before, one of the 12 Chinese zodiac symbols is a dragon. The other signs are all clearly animals known to the people thousands of years ago and are still alive today. So why is the dragon on the zodiac at all? It doesn't seem logical that the ancient Chinese, when constructing their zodiac, would include a solitary mythical animal alongside 11 real animals. Why put a dragon next to a tiger, a dog, or a rooster? Looking at the Zodiac and the Shishuipo Cemetery ruins, we have to wonder, is the dragon Zodiac based on an animal that isn't alive today? What are the facts behind the myth? Were dragons, or something close to a dragon, alive and known to Zodiac creators? This phenomenon of presenting a dragon as a real creature isn't exclusive to Chinese art. Marcus Atilius Regulus served as a Roman general in the First Punic War in 256 BC, where he defeated the Carthaginians in a naval battle and invaded North Africa, winning several victories there. While in Carthage, the army attempted to cross River Bagrata when, according to the witnesses, a gigantic sea dragon quickly drowned and ate an unfortunate soldier. In full armor and wielding various hand weapons, soldiers carefully approached the river reeds. 
But then a gigantic serpent-like creature raised its head, eyes glowing like lanterns, and roared, driving the soldiers back. To avoid the dragon, General Regulus decided to cross the river farther upstream. However, when the first soldier entered the river, the water around him began to boil. In a flash, the serpent pulled the soldier underwater. Others rushed forward, but they were drowned and eaten, one after another. Dozens of men fought and died trying to kill this single monster. Eventually, Regulus thought to treat this enemy like a rival army and brought forward the massive catapults capable of hurling heavy rocks. The Roman army bombarded the beast with an avalanche of boulders again and again until one rock crashed with full force directly between the beast's eyes, killing it. Regulus had his men drag the body out of the water and measured it to be 37 meters, or 120 feet long. The serpent's massive body was ceremoniously presented at Capitol Hill in Rome, where it was recorded by various historians of the time and kept on display for over 100 years. Unfortunately, during the Humantine War in 133 BC, the skeletal remains were lost forever. Ignoring certain details of the encounter, it could be believed that the actual soldiers found and killed a large African python. But that would also mean reconciling the exaggerations with specific details, including why nobody seemed to contradict the seemingly absurd size. Few snakes have ever been recorded at over 30 feet long, so four times that size is beyond incredible. Throughout history, there are incredibly specific, even scientific-seeming accounts of dragon-like animals defying known animal labels. It would be easy to dismiss these as wild exaggeration if not for the common insistence that accounts involving dragons and dragon-like creatures are factual. Historical accounts from first-century Greek philosopher, historian, and geographer Strabo have a similar, seemingly odd inclusion of dragons. Born into wealth, Strabo traveled extensively and compiled his findings in the 17-part encyclopedia detailing regions of the world called Geographica. Alongside his maps, accounts, and geographical descriptions, Strabo wrote that in India, quote, there are reptiles two cubits long, that is, three or four feet, with membranous wings like bats. They too fly by night, discharging drops of urine or also of sweat, which putrefy the skin of anyone who is not on his guard, end quote. While clearly smaller than commonly pictured dragons, it's unclear what he was describing that exists as we know it today. Much more recently, in the 1500s, Swiss naturalist and medical doctor Conrad Gessner published a four-volume encyclopedia entitled Historia Animalium. In it, he mentions dragons as very rare but still living creatures. He wrote, quote, Close to the town of Beurs near Sudbury, 
there has lately appeared to the great hurt of the countryside a dragon vast in body with a crested head, teeth like a saw, and a tail extending to an enormous length. Having slaughtered the shepherd of the flock, it devoured many sheep. In order to destroy him, all the country people around were summoned. But when the dragon saw that he was again to be assailed with arrows, he fled into a marsh or mere, and there hid himself among the long reeds and was no more seen." End quote. Gessner wasn't the only one. British cleric and author Edward Topsell cataloged hundreds of animals in the early 1600s, from cats and horses to snakes and, yes, dragons. He wrote, quote, Dragons abide in deep caves and hollow places of the earth. Sometimes they come out of their holes and forsake the earth and fly aloft, end quote. No other mythological creature is included in Topsell's catalog. To underline his point and avoid confusion over the dragon inclusion, Topsell later wrote, quote, And this which I have written may be sufficient to satisfy any reasonable man that there are winged serpents and dragons in the world. End quote. The volumes of biological analysis on dragons are unparalleled in scope and depth among mythological creatures. Libraries could be filled with miniat of dragon definitions, anatomy, and taxonomy. Evolutionary zoologist Desmond Morris wrote, quote, In the world of fantastic animals, the dragon is unique. No other imaginary creature has appeared in such a rich variety of forms. It is as though there was once a whole family of different dragon species that really existed before they mysteriously became extinct. Indeed, as recently as the 17th century, scholars wrote of dragons as though they were scientific fact, their anatomy and natural history being recorded in painstaking detail. End quote. No other fantasy creature received this level of documentation by academics and scholars throughout history. Not mermaids, not unicorns, not elves. So why dragons? What about them captivated the human mind? We'll return to our story in just a moment. And now, back to Unexplained Mysteries. Dragons didn't only appear in encyclopedias and historical accounts. They also appeared on maps. Historically, animals and threats were frequently illustrated in maps to warn travelers to avoid the areas. As far back as the second century, maps of Africa have snakes, elephants, and hippos. This was a practical concern. And for some reason, this practical concern included dragons. The Ebstorf map created in the 13th century has several animals in southern Africa, including a dragon. Dated around 1250, the Salter map has dragons in the bottom frame, below the world, but with no accompanying text. European exploration in the 14th and 15th centuries brought about new knowledge and more accurate maps, but also documented well-known and monstrous perils. For example, 
the Lenox Globe, made around 1510, was intended to be an accurate representation of the world as it was known. Yet, near the equatorial line and off the coast of East India, or modern-day China, read the Latin words hic sunt draconis, meaning here be dragons. Possibly included thanks to the accounts of Marco Polo, this is a startling inclusion on a globe meant to be as accurate as possible and likely as accurate as any map of its day. That said, the phrase was not included on other maps during that time. Why would map makers include artistic or symbolic images on otherwise science-based representations of the world? Why are dragons so frequently included with actual animals depicted in faraway lands or at sea? There's only one good answer. People believe dragons were real. This dragon documentation was happening as recently as 1909, when author Marie Trevelyan wrote about the extinct flying serpents of Wales. Trevelyan's interview subjects gave nearly identical descriptions of flying serpents that used to ravage farmlands and harass the locals. The flying serpents were coiled when in repose and, quote, looked as if they were covered with jewels of all sorts. Some of them had crests sparkling with all the colors of the rainbow, end quote. When disturbed, the flying serpents flew right over people's heads with their outspread wings bright like the feathers of a peacock's tail. Invariably, Trevelyan's interviewees defended the creatures as real, though extinct, separating them from unicorn, fairies, and other mythological creatures. The argument was that these flying serpents were not stories meant to frighten children, but rather a pestilence hunted to extinction by the people of Wales, because the creatures would kill chickens at a rate that would shame any fox. And this was in 1909, barely a hundred years ago. By comparison, this is a recent account. We'll end on one final and relatively recent account of a dragon. Like the others, this was reported as fact. On April 26, 1890, the Tombstone Epitaph, a local Arizona newspaper, reported that two cowboys discovered and shot down a flying reptilian creature of enormous size. The newspaper described the body as a winged dragon. The cowboys cut off the end of the gigantic leathery wing to prove the existence of the creature, but the details became scarce after that. Incredibly, though, in 1971, Fossils were found in Texas matching the form described by cowboys 80 years prior. The Quetzalcoatlus, a name lifted from a pre-Hispanic serpent-human-bird hybrid god, was a prehistoric flying dinosaur, the largest of the pterodactyls. This beast of the sky had a wingspan of at least 36 feet, easily making it the largest flying creature in the world. It's possible the cowboys found fossils, 
and took the opportunity to lie about what good marksmen they were. Or maybe they fabricated the whole tale and were astronomically lucky that everyone believed them. But that doesn't explain the leathery wing reported. A wing they used as proof. A wing covered in leathery skin that should have decomposed thousands of years ago when the Quetzalcoatlus went extinct. Could these cowboys claiming to have killed a flying reptile of dragon size actually have killed a living dinosaur? As unlikely as it sounds, many of the stories and discoveries shared today, from an ancient Chinese burial site to the Roman army, from Greek, Swiss, and English naturalists to an American newspaper, could be answered with the notion that extraordinary creatures once shared this world with us. That dragons are not a myth conjured out of thin air, but actually the traces of a species, or several species, recently killed off. Did humans hunt extraordinary reptiles from the sea and the air to complete extinction? Did we kill off the dragon? Is it possible a few dinosaurs survived the mass extinction event? This wouldn't be the first time a species survived presumed extinction. There's the Omura's whale, the New Zealand storm petrel, and the Philippine naked-backed fruit bat, to name a few. All were once considered extinct, but later found alive. Perhaps the same thing happened to dragons or dinosaurs. Or perhaps... Dragons are simply a creature we desperately want to believe in. The dragon might be more deeply rooted in human psychology than our ability to tell stories about them. In fact, the dragon might be our biggest insight into early man. Next week, we'll try to find out. Don't forget to subscribe to Unexplained Mysteries on Apple Podcasts, tune in, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, or any other podcast directory. If you like what you hear, leave a five-star review or tell us what you think on social media. We are on Facebook and Instagram as at Parcast and Twitter at Parcast Network. It seems simple, but it really helps our show. A new episode comes out every Thursday. And next time, we'll continue our investigation on dragons. And remember, never take we don't know for an answer. Unexplained Mysteries was created by Max Cutler, is a production of Cutler Media, and is part of the Parcast Network. It is produced by Max and Ron Cutler, sound designed by Kenny Hobbs, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro and Paul Mahler. Additional production assistance by Maggie Admire and Carly Madden. Unexplained Mysteries is written by Nick Adams and stars Claire Delamar and Richard Rosner.